Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning and to be able to join together. We meet together this morning uh, in remembrance, in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ and of his sacrifice for us. It's, it's also Remembrance Sunday today and it's right that we mark that at the start of our service together. To remember people who have lost their lives in war, not just those killed directly in the conflict but also those whose lives have been destroyed refugees, the mourning families, many people over the years affected by war. So I just wanted to remember that together before we started. And I'm going to to lead a prayer which is taken from the book of Daniel, um, the first part of it directly, and then um, some related thoughts. So if you just remain where you are, we'll pray together. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Lord, we pray that you will bring healing and peace to this world. Peace that this world so desperately needs and comfort. Lord, we pray that you will do this for your name's sake, that everyone might know that you are the Lord, that you are God, and that you love each one of us. Lord, we pray that you will be close to us now, this morning, and bless us. In Jesus. Amen. Let's continue by singing from the Green Book, number 12, a psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside... Sorry, he leads me... You can read the verse. (laughs) It does make sense when you sing it. And I think it's important that we remember, as I say, that this world is in desperate need of peace and of comfort and that only our God can provide that for us. Morning, everybody. Welcome, a warm welcome to you all. And um, welcome to the Bethel on the 13th of November. More about that later. Particular welcome to uh, to our visitors, Jeff and Steve, and to Richard Lang and to Robert. Um, you are extremely welcome to be to join with us, to meet with us this morning. And so the care news. Um, we do have a number of members with ongoing health issues, uh, and it's good to pray for them and to offer practical help to them. Um, it's great to see. Uh, Gladys is here today, but please keep keep Gladys and Marion uh, and Pauline and Bill and Issa, although Issa is here again, um, please keep those people in your prayers and wherever possible, uh, please do drop them a line or phone them or offer um, some help to them if you're able to do that. Um, Please continue to pray for God's guidance and care and support for John and Angela uh, as they continue to care for Angela's mum. Likewise, we need to keep Ben and Debbie uh, in our thoughts and prayers um, for Debbie's mum and dad. Um, Debbie phoned yesterday, her mum has had another scan and there's no change, um, which means that the treatment she's been having doesn't seem to be working and they don't think there's anywhere else to go with that really. So they're going to see the consultant uh, soon but are bracing themselves for bad news. So please do keep them uh, in your prayers. Please pray for and send a text to John in the Congo. Uh, he really appreciates our messages. doesn't always have phone credit to reply, um, but he does um, appreciate getting those me- messages. Uh, and if you can do Facebook, Facebook messages uh, works really well for him as well. Um, please can we pray and offer any help that Stephen might need. Stephen's um, been burgled and had his house ransacked uh, on Friday night to the state where it's no longer livable in. Sorry to hear that, Steve. Uh, anybody able to help Steve, please have a word. And please also remember to uh, think of Beth's school friend and pray that she and her family uh, can get through this tough patch that, that they're in at the moment and overcome her anorexia um, together as a family. We pray that God will find a way to shine through Beth and to her care for her friend so that she comes to know the love and value that God has for her at this time. And that's all. Thank you. Almighty God, our Father, we know that you care for each one of us, that you know every, every problem that we encounter, 
every pain and ailment that we suffer. And you feel our discomfort and our pain too. Lord, we pray that you will be close to those who need your special care at the moment. We pray that you will give us the motivation, the time, the hearts to reach out and show your love to those that we know about. Lord, we know that only your comfort and support can bring a real change. But Lord, help us to to be your comfort and your support to other people so that they can lean on us and be made strong in your love. Lord, we remember each of the people who Neil mentioned. We pray that you will be close to them and bless them this week. Amen. Let's sing together from Praise the Lord, number 11. This, I feel, is a a response to, to our prayers, to our concerns for those that we know. To recognise that our Lord is God. To accept healing from his hand and to put our trust in him. Malcolm's going to exhort us after we've shared bread and wine this morning. So as an introduction to to sharing the bread and wine, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1. And Nancy's going to read that for us, just verses 1 down to 23. Thank you, Nancy. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Ephorus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love and the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers uh, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
once you have alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. So as we now spend some time remembering Jesus, I think those words we've read are, are quite enough, are, are way beyond anything that I could add. So I just want to draw your attention to some of the wonderful words that, that Nancy read for us there. Verse 12, we give thanks to our Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Our God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Our Lord Jesus we remember now. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then we read in verses 15 down to 20 just, just how awesome and amazing our Lord Jesus Christ is. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And verse 20, through him to reconcile all things to himself. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. These are the things that we remember this morning as we remember our Lord's death and his resurrection. The promise made to us. Before we share bread and wine we're going to sing together from Praise the Lord 68 reflecting on those words we've just read. Jesus, you are the radiance of the Father's glory. You are the Son, the appointed heir, through whom all things are made. You are the one who sustains all things by your powerful word. You have purified us from sin. You are exalted, O Lord, to the right hand of God. Father God, Lord, it's at this time of year that we remember the horror of war and the sacrifice of hundreds and thousands of people who gave their lives for the peace and the security of generations to come, lest we forget. At this moment, Father, we come to remember the ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate because it was your Son our Saviour, our friend Jesus. Ultimate, because he didn't deserve any of it. His whole life was a sacrifice of loving you, his Father, and loving us, his brothers and sisters. Ultimate, because it sealed our salvation. It sealed our peace, not a fragile political peace, but a complete peace, ultimate, because it changed the world. Lest we forget, Father, help us remember as we take this bread now. Amen.
Heavenly Father, under the law of Moses, thousands of animals shed their blood so that people might realise that the gulf between you and us. But in a very real sense, all of those sacrifices did nothing. Because they didn't show us how much you love us. But when you gave Jesus, and we saw the love that you have for your children, and that it wasn't part of some elaborate plan B to redeem mankind, but something that you had had in mind before you created the world. That Jesus was always at the front of everything that you have done and thought about. And through Jesus, the salvation and redemption of us. Father, we are filled with awe. And pray that we don't see his sacrifice as some mathematical equation where it required a death to save a death but that it was Lord your ultimate expression of love and Father for that we thank you as we take this wine and as we feel it flow through our bodies Lord, let us remember that you did this out of love and let us change our lives so that they reflect that love in everything we do. Amen. Malcolm has asked that we read from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, to introduce his thoughts. So uh, we're going to do that. Ruth is going to lead us. We're going to read the first um, 34 verses of the chapter. So that's John, chapter 1. Thank you, Ruth. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 
Now this was God's test, John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, so pleased to ask Malcolm to share his thoughts with us. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you again. Um, can I ask you a question? Um, would, you, would you rather uh, live in a world where everyone uh, knows and loves you or where everyone knows and loves Jesus. Now think about that for just a second. I know what uh, we want to say, but how does our life uh, answer that question? Most of our lives uh, are spent, are they not, uh, hoping that people will know and love us. But there is a, a decision that a person makes when he or she becomes a, a follower of Christ. And that decision says, Lord, your reputation matters more than mine. And what it matters most is that people know you and less that people know me. Now, if you're a, a Christ follower, I hope this exhortation uh, is a reminder to live that kind of lifestyle. If you're not a Christ follower or you're just on the, on the way, uh, I hope this exhortation helps you to count the cost, to consider what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because though we, we stumble and fail in this, our goal is that people know Christ and not us. Our goal is to be what I like to call this morning a trailblazer, one who goes out in front of Christ to, to clear the path to make the street straight so that other people can know him and so we can clear the debris out of the way. We don't want to be a hindrance. We don't want to create debris. We want to clear it out of the way so that other people can know him. And I think the greatest person to ever do this was the man that we just read about, John the Baptist. He considered himself to be a trailblazer. He had a certain uh, people he wanted to speak to and he, he really didn't care what they thought about him and he didn't really care about his appearance. He dressed in an unusual way, he ate an unusual diet but he was a trailblazer and what mattered to him 
was what people thought of Christ. Just have a look if you're still there in John chapter 1, uh, where we were reading. John chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, This is how he described himself. I am a voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am a voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now if you looked on the business card of John the Baptist, it says voice in capital letters. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness and here is my message. I am making the road the road straight. And you and I have the, the same assignment. There are people out here, Christ is here, and our privilege is to blaze the trail, to clear the debris out of the way so that they can have an encounter with Christ. And at the right time, we step out, step out of the way and let them have that moment. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? How does a, a trailblazer work? What does a trailblazer do? Well, I think uh, John the Baptist can give us the answers. I, th- I found three different principles of trailblazing, and I just thought I'd share them with you this morning. We'll spend most of our time on the first one, and then we'll briefly touch on, on the second two. Principle number one you don't have to conform to the world to convince the world, you don't have to conform to the world to convince the world. You don't have to be like the world to make a difference in the world. How many of you think that John the Baptist would do well in a seminar on political correctness? How many of you think a PR firm would approve of the way he presented himself? According to the Bible, John wore clothes made from camel's hair, he had a leather belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. This is John the Baptist, even though he was the cousin of Jesus Christ, even though he had the the most important role on the face of the earth. He just gave little or no concern to his appearance. He cared more about who he represented. His message was a no-nonsense, bare-fisted challenge to repent because the Messiah was on his way. He said it didn't matter a jot if you were a Jew or a priest. What mattered most was that you got off your backside and you got your heart right with God. His tactics lacked tact and his style wasn't sweet. John the Baptist made few friends, but boy, did he make a lot of converts. Did he make a lot of converts. All the people of Judea and Jerusalem were were going out to him. And they confessed their sins and were baptised by him. John the Baptist stood out from the crowd by the way that he acted and by what he said. And because he stood out from the crowd, the crowd stood with him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? There is something winsome in holiness. There is something winsome in about being holy, about not making it your aim to fit in with the crowd, but making it your aim to be known by God. There is something winsome about, about that. People are drawn to it. They appreciate it. Many years ago, uh, I came across a letter uh, which was written in the, in the third century by a, a man whose name was Saint Cyprian. And he wrote this letter to his friend Donatus. And it's one of the greatest quotes I've ever come across. And I, I'd just like to share it with you. Cyprian is writing to his friend Donatus. This seems to be a cheerful world, Donatus. When I view it, from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But I have climbed some great mountain and look out over the wild lands and you know very well what I would see. I would see brigands on the high roads and pirates on the seas. 
In the amphitheatres, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. And under all the roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus. An incredibly bad world. Yet, in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, call themselves Christians, and I have decided to become one of them. A quiet and holy people. What a testimony they gave. This is the first characteristic of a trailblazer. Holiness. A person who seeks to be like God more than they seek to be like people. Perhaps it's best described and summarised in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Would you just turn to that, please? First Thessalonians chapter 4. Just reading from verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you, that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that is this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and do works with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Just note that last verse so that your daily life may win respect of the outsiders. You don't have to be conformed to this world to make a difference in this world. Trailblazers hear a different voice and they follow a different call, don't they? Now, perhaps some of you are in situations at work or at school or where you live where it seems like you're the only one who has any concern about Christ. And my encouragement to you, which I believe is an encouragement from God, is to stay strong. Don't give up. And God blesses the work of these John the Baptists so that they can blaze a trail between a person and Christ. Take a stand. Be known in your office as the one person who is honest with their expenses claims, perhaps. Just have the reputation where you live of one who loves the family and the sacredness of the home. Make it your aim to reflect Christ in what you do. Small or large things. Make it your aim to adorn the gospel of Christ in the way that you live. You see, you make a straight path for the Lord by leading a straight life for the Lord. You see, the thing about John the Baptist was his life and his words matched up. But when you see a life and the words don't match, it doesn't quite work, does it? When we say one thing and yet lead a life that represents another, it just doesn't quite work. On this Sunday, 
when many are, are remembering those who have given their lives for our nation. Let me tell you just briefly about another soldier. This soldier was once brought to Alexander the Great to be tried for desertion. He had abandoned his fellow soldiers in battle and the commander was, was angered uh, by, at the act. He was even more angered when he asked the soldier, what is your name? And the soldier said, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great stood and defied the young soldier. Either change your name or change your ways. You see, if you are to carry the name of the commander, you carry the reputation of the commander. We carry a name far greater than Alexander the Great. We carry the name Christians, Christians. We have Christ's name and our own identity. Let us live in such a way that when people see the way we live and learn that we are Christians, it speaks fondly of Christ. Everything that we do is an excitation, isn't it? Francis of Assisi once approached a, a young monk and he said, let's go down into the town and preach. And the novice, who was delighted at being singled out and fo followed his, his spiritual father into the town, and they walked down one street, up another, and then up and down a few side streets. And then they took a circuitous route back to the abbey. Upon their return, the young apprentice said to St. Francis of Assisi, We didn't preach. You invited me to go into the town and preach. And St. Francis of Assisi replied, Oh my son, we have preached. We have been seen by many. Our behaviour was closely watched. Our attitudes were closely measured. Our words were overheard. This is the way that we preached our morning sermon. Let's perhaps you preach your morning sermons this week. May we do so with words of kindness, affirmation and encouragement. And may you know that God is with you every step of the way. John the Baptist teaches you don't have, that you don't have to conform to the world to make a difference in the world. You can be different. He also teaches two other things more briefly. You don't have to know all the story to tell the story. You don't have to know all the story to tell the story. You know, John the Baptist really knew very little. We know more that he knew we know more than he did about Jesus Christ. He knew this in John chapter 1 and verse 30 to 31 it says a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus a friend of the Messiah he was sent from God but he still, but he still he, he didn't understand everything about Jesus. He didn't understand all that Jesus was going to do. He didn't witness the miracles and as far as we did know he didn't hear any of the sermons and he, certain, he certainly wasn't around to witness the resurrection or the birth of the church. But he told what he knew. He told what he knew. After me comes a man who is preferred to me and I know that he is so great that I couldn't unleash his sandals. I would encourage you to do that as a trailblazer. Don't let what you don't know keep you from sharing what you do. There's a lot of things in, in the Bible we perhaps don't understand. Perhaps we don't understand all the intricacies of the, the book of Revelation or the symbolism of the book of Leviticus. And I don't know what, is, what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. But I do know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have, but have eternal life. You know, 
We can tell that, can't we? We can tell that. I recently heard uh, on the news about a a brave little three-year-old boy whose mother had lapsed into a diabetic coma. The little boy was only starting to speak, but when he saw his mother was was lying unable to, he, he ran at lightning speed out of the house to his uncle who lived at the end of the street. After knocking on his uncle's door with all his might, he saved his his mother's life by telling his uncle what had happened to his mummy. It could have been a tragedy, but no harm was done because the little boy told what he knew. He didn't understand the biology of a diabetic coma, why why lack of sugar can kill a diabetic. But he understood what his mother had said, that if we need help, go and get your uncle. He told what he knew. If we would just do that, if we would just share what we know, what do you know about God? You know that he he loves you, don't you? And you know that he loves the whole world. And you know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. I will say that perhaps someone in your world this week needs to know that. And when you can create an encounter between a human being and God's word, something wonderful happens. The power is really not in the messenger, is it? The power is in the message. The Bible says in Hebrews 14 and verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Look where the power is. The power is in the word itself. There's something living about God's word. If you just pass a passage into someone's life, you've done your work. Don't underestimate what happens when you create an encounter between a human being and God's word. You don't have to know it all to say all that needs to be said. And then number three, you don't have to do it all to do a lot. You don't have to do it all to do a lot. When he saw Jesus walking by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. That's what John 1 verse 36 and 37 says. You know, somebody could argue and say, the ministry of John the Baptist was a failure because the last time we see him, he's in prison. And the last question we hear him asking is this. It's recorded in Luke 7 and verse 19. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Somebody could say, John the Baptist didn't do much. But I'll tell you, what he did was enough. He introduced some key people to Christ. And those key people became followers of Christ, became apostles of Christ, became church starters. You know, you don't have to do it all to do a lot. You don't have to do it all to do a lot. Maybe perhaps some of you We'd like to perhaps adopt every child in the world, but you can't, can you? But you don't have to do it all to do a lot. Maybe some of you would like to to build homes for every person perhaps in the developing world. I don't know. But you can perhaps build two or three in a lifetime. And that's a lot for them, isn't it? You don't have to do it all. I know perhaps... Many of you would perhaps love to hug every child you ever see, especially a child who has not known anything about God's love. But you know what? If you perhaps teach 20 or 30 children in your lifetime, isn't that huge? I'll tell you it's huge if you do something which comparatively is as small as that. You don't have to do it all to do a lot. You're not the the only solution that God has to the human problem. So let's just do what we can 
and trust that God is going to use it. There's a region, you know, in the south of France where oak trees grow in groves and beech trees cast long shadows and maples cluster on the farms and fountain pools overflow into carpets of fresh mint. People picnic in the meadows and they raise their families in the valleys. It's a beautiful place, but it hasn't always been beautiful. In the early 20th century, prior to the outbreak of World War I, there was nothing but pasture and dry land and wild lavenders. But in 1913, the landscape of the countryside began to change thanks to the presence of a 55-year-old shepherd by the name of Elsiard Buffet. In 1913, he made a decision. His heart was heavy because the land was barren and he had grown up in that land and he could remember when the forests were strong but overplanting and overharvesting had occurred and the forest was overcut and nothing was growing there any longer. And so the shepherd decided that he was going to do something about it. He didn't contact any government. He didn't request any special funds or solicit the help of a foundation. He just wore a tow sack around his waist and he cared for his sheep and he wandered around the hills. And in that tow sack, he put acorns. And everywhere he went, all day long, with an iron rod, he would poke a hole in the ground and drop an acorn down in the hole. And he did that. And that's all he did. But he did it every day. And he did it every day for 30 years. And because he did it every day for 30 years, where there was barrenness, there is now a forest. The shade and the moisture was so abruptly changed that in 1933, Elsiard Buffet received a visit from a, a forest ranger that had been sent to him by the French government. And they asked for an explanation because they knew that this land had been barren only decades before and now stood oak trees strong and the groves were beginning to form but now Buffet was 75 years old and he was still planting and they found him that day planting beech trees at a spot near his cottage by the end of the second world war some of the oak trees were 20 to 25 feet tall and they covered the slopes and the old man kept at work. He stayed at it until he died in 1947. You know, seed sowers can change the world. Seed sowers can change the world. Equipped with nothing more than acorns of faith and the patience to plant them, they gradually and literally alter the landscape of life. I'm looking at a room full of seed sowers. Go on, plant some seeds. Don't get discouraged. Don't underestimate the power of a seed. You don't have to conform to the world to, to change the world. You don't have to know everything to say what needs to be said. And you don't have to do it all to do a lot. So just keep blazing those trails and make a difference that will last forever. God bless you. Thank you very much, Malcolm. We're going to close our service by singing from the hymn book number 208, after which Alex is going to uh, pray. I chose this one after Malcolm had given me an idea of what he was going to talk about and I hope that it, it picks upon some of, some of Malcolm's thoughts. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thine erring children lost and lone.
God of love, let us not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, you have loved us. You have loved us all and with that love you bless us with the responsibility to love all. Lord, you have blessed us. You have blessed us all. And because we have so much, you commission us to bless others too. Thank you, Lord, for Christ and cross through us and our lives. Tell that story time and time again. Lord, thank you for making peace with us when we are the ones that have made war with you. Through us, Lord, love our enemies too. Lord, thank you for daily bread. Through us in our lives, Lord, help us fill the empty. And Lord, thank you that most of us have healthy and whole bodies. Where you can, Lord, where you will, we know you can. Through us, mend those that are broken. Because, Lord, all is grace. All is your grace poured out to us in our lives so that we can pour out that grace to others too. Lord, help us to be seed planters so that you can touch the lives of hundreds more through touching our lives. Lord, thank you for this time we've spent together. I pray that it has been a time that you've enjoyed too. We ask for your blessing on the coming week so that we can be your ambassadors in this world. Through the name, the strong name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.